0: Well, it's July. And here at the Rhodes Education Foundation, we are celebrating the entire month with a fundraiser trying to foster independent teachers. July in the United States, where we are headquartered, is a month of independence. We have seen A lot of different communities speaking out and becoming independent teachers as they launch businesses online and learn and share each other's tips. And that's exactly what we want to do this month. And if you could help, your contributions will go towards a teacher's professional development and their future of being independent.
1: I'm Dr. Eileen Hale, the CEO of TTELT, Teaching Tips for English Language Learners, and I have a special guest with me today, Ms. Odelia Caliz from the Ministry of Education in Belize. We are here in San Pedro, Belize, which is one the capital of Ambergris Key, But without too much further ado, we're going to be talking about the challenges of integrating students' linguistic and cultural background while teaching English as a second language. And Ms. Odelia has years of experience, um, both teaching as a teacher, as well as her own cultural and linguistic background. I'll let her introduce herself further, and then we'll jump into the interview. Again, we're in the country of Belize in Central America on the Caribbean side near Mexico and Guatemala. So there's a lot of linguistic and cultural diversity in this country. Thus, our topic, which Ms. Odelia wants to share with us today. Odelia, would you mind just sharing a little bit more about your background, both professionally and culturally and linguistically for our audience to understand the diversity of Belize? Okay, well,
0: hello everyone.
1: So, I was born and raised in the
0: southernmost part of Belize, Toledo, in a remote village. And in that village, we spoke various languages. First of all, I come from a home where my mother speaks Creole. She speaks Mayan. She speaks Spanish. And when we went to school, we were taught in English. So, we had to transition from Creole being the most dominant home language to... um, to English at school. And when I continued to further my higher education, we, it was in English, and I moved to San Pedro town and Burgers Key when I was still in my teen years. And then I got into the teaching profession. Um, my first experience, it was um, a, a, an experience that I decided that's the career I wanted to take. And so here I am. Several years after, as the education officer for responsible for schools in San Pedro and Kikonker, which is an island that is 30 minutes away from San Pedro town. And San Pedro town is an island that's located about 36 miles off the coast of Belize. It's a popular tourist destination. So we have lots of influences from the um, United States, as well as Central America. And so in our schools, in our communities. There are about four or five languages that are spoken.
1: Thank you for that introduction. And for our listeners, just a quick, short, brief history of Belize because many people are not aware number one, that English is the national language of Belize as they were settled by the British and only got their independence officially in 1981, correct? Yes. Given that background, that there's quite a plethora of linguistic and cultural backgrounds here. There's again, and Odelia can add more than I can, being a native of this country, but from my research and work here, I understand you have Spanish, both from Guatemalan background and Mexican background, the two countries that border Belize, as well as Creole, as she mentioned, that comes from the Africans that were brought to Belize, from British Honduras, and you have Gurifuna, uh, a different language altogether, uh, with a, I'll let Odelia explain a little bit more of that. And then you have how many Mayan languages are spoken in Belize? Uh, this I know of about I know of three. For
0: example, in the southern part of Belize, because of the high influx of the Mayan immigrating from certain areas in Guatemala into our country, Belize, we have lots of the Queche Maya, as well as the Mopan Maya. And then we have to the north of Belize, we have the Yucatec Maya that um, we had an influx back in the 1970s after the cast war in Mexico, where there was a huge um, population of that group of Maya that migrated to Belize. So hence the influence in the northern part of Belize, lots of Yucatec Maya. So, that's um that would be the foundation where um the languages the native languages um are, are, arise from, as well as you have the Garifuna that's spoken that's predominant in the south, and the Garifunas in the nineteen hundred we had um huge population of Garifunas that migrated from Honduras to the southern coast of Belize, so we have the Mayan, we have the Garifuna, and then we have the Creole. Again, the history of the Creole has to do with the African slaves brought to Belize with large influence from the British um, then, and so we have the Creole languages and that is one of the um, the Creole Languages, one of the um, languages that is spoken by most Belizean, including myself. And then we have other ethnicity, other languages such as the, we have the Spanish That is another dominant native language in the homes. And here on the island of San Pedro town, that's a language that's spoken by many, many families. And then we have other languages, minor languages such as Chinese and we have the Hindu. But of course, as mentioned by Dr. Eileen, that English is the official language of Belize. It is the language of instruction in your schools.
1: So, some of the thank you for that additional background for our listeners. Why this is so important is because many of our listeners around the world have similar, maybe not even as rich, I would say, rich cultural backgrounds from so many different influences in a very small country, less than half a million people in the entire country of Belize, yet such diversity of languages and cultures that offers many challenges for teachers given that the majority of teachers speak English as their second language. Again, speaking either a Mayan or Spanish or Creole or a combination of all those languages at home. Most everybody here is bilingual, if not trilingual or quadrilingual. So when it comes to teaching English in the classrooms, um, can you share some specific examples of challenges or issues that the children in particular Odelia taught for over 10 years in the elementary schools. Maybe you could share um, some challenges that you incorporated and encountered while you were teaching in the schools.
0: Well, I can even speak for myself as a student in school. So, as mentioned before, in my home, my mom speaks Mayan, Mopan Maya, Kikchimaya, and Spanish as well, but Creole was our native language. And so when we went to school, of course, the language of instruction is English. The textbooks are in English language, the instruction is in English. Everything that you read or you're introduced or taught, it is done in English. So at that point, there is just the language barrier that becomes a challenge because of course, vocabulary and and the context and the way it's written, it's not something that that you are accustomed to or you're familiar with. And so that, becomes the first barrier Um, a second barrier that or a challenge that I experienced was that oftentimes the textbooks um, the content and the concepts in these books are not done or or not contextualized it is not within my own context and I'm just speaking for my particular um, hometown my particular area and so you have to adjust or they seem foreign. All the information and all the vocabulary and whatever is written in those textbooks, the pictures, the images are foreign to you. So not just the language barrier, but just the whole information that is there is a whole new adjustment. And I think that that was one of my um, lack of motivation as I continue to further. In the younger years, I think it was nurtured a lot. Like my teacher nurtured that um, the lack of of not being able to connect to this new experience, she nurtured that. But as I went into higher grade, I think that that was, that did not happen. And I think right there was where my motivation for learning, I lost the motivation and I found school to be a bit of a challenge. And that's where I began to struggle. And so I think that that still happens in our school today because, because it, it does not necessarily mean, and I'm just speaking for a particular population of students, but it does not necessarily mean that children are do not want to learn, which is, you know, one of the common phrases that the children are not interested, they're disengaged. Um, however, that does not mean that they're disengaged. I, I don't think that any child who goes to school, wake up and walk two, three miles, get dressed, goes to school, that I don't want to learn today. Um, and so oftentimes the disconnection between what is happening inside classroom and what you come with at home cause for um, for the interpretation that children do not want to learn. And so it we, we need to really take into consideration other factors than just assume. As an educator myself, I think that um, really digging deeper and looking more at why children may seem disengaged is very important um, rather than making your own assumption and so how can teachers do that as an educator as how my teacher used to do my teacher had a very good communication with home and with school so my mom my mom cannot read and write and so when it comes to supporting us in doing um, enrichment assignment at home there was no way I could have relied on my mom to help me study, to help me with my homework, with my schoolwork. And every time I make a connection to learning in school, I always use my example because I think that um, many children can share that experience. Um, Teacher, it took that one teacher to say, you know what, Um, it's not just when you come to school here that I get to see you and talk to you. Like my teacher made that extra effort to build that bridge that communication between home and school and so my mom was was a part of the school was a part of the entire education system and so as a child as a student back then I felt that we had that support but as I further my education that wasn't there of course because the level of education varied and that was where the support was not there for me, anymore. and more, and I—that's when I found education to be a struggle. Um. So when I became an educator, that's something I did. I try to ensure that parents and and the home was a part of what I did in my classroom instruction. And I think that's why I fell in love with education, even up to today. And that was the driving force. So every time someone would ask me why did you become an educator? Why did you stay in education? I always say to the students I would speak to, you all, you all motivated me. Um, you were the ones, the families, the community that has been my motivation, and even up to today, um, with 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 the work that I do in my community, I think that even to today, that I I I love and I smile when I go home after five, after six, after seven, because of that relationship that I have with my community, with the, 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 the storekeeper down the street, or with the mayor in the town, or with the um, the community, um, the preacher, or with... So I try to connect and I try to, to ensure that we are not disjointed, And so I think that that's so important that whatever bridge we choose to build, to connect with, whether it's just that communication,
1: that's so critical. These are great points you're making. Specific tips, just a little deeper, if you will, for a teacher today who's, let's say they have some children that speak Mayan, uh, one of the Mayan languages, and one some language that, I'm sorry, some children that speak Creole and some children that speak Spanish, all in the same classroom. And say, for example, the teacher only speaks the Mayan language, but doesn't speak Spanish. How could she or he connect with the language background and the cultural background with which he or she may not be familiar?
0: Well, you know, we have That's that's a reality in our schools today. That is a reality because I come from the south, um, not too far from many of the Mayan villages. And so we have Mayan as a native language. There's nobody who comes and introduces English. And now when a teacher goes in these villages, he or she instruction is done in English. The teacher speaks only English, but then you have your students, majority of them do not speak. What do you do? And how do you ensure that that there is not... um, you don't have students that believe that you're talking something foreign to them. I think so important and again from my experience and what I used to do as an educator and what I still believe in works well is at some point the teacher needs to ensure that students are a part of that classroom learning. How can students be a part of that? Number one I remember when my teacher would say to me, okay, we're going to have an event, a food that would be cooked at, at home. Um, she would try to encourage that the children bring various, for us it was food because in my community, like we enjoy food. So food was a way that brought us together, different native food. For a teacher now trying to communicate and get information across, I would say that at some point you have to... In- encourage or allow children to share their own information or story in their language so let's say a teacher is doing a lesson and I do it because I don't I'm not fluent in Spanish but I have most of my students are Spanish speakers and so I say something in English okay I'm trying to communicate something in English and I say to one of my students how do you say this how do you say this in in, in Spanish help me explain to your peers or to the classmate to the class what I'm trying to see um, and then pretty soon after a while I do pick up pick up the language and sometimes of course you say something and it doesn't always sound the same the accent may vary but the children get the point of what you want to say they may laugh at you and so for once I feel like a kid and then I feel the way how a child feel when he or she is forced to communicate in a language that is not their language and so, so you know I get to experience, the experience shifts, and so it is very important that you get them to participate or to share in some manner, whether you're teaching students that speak Spanish as your native language or Mayan as your native language, but you get them to a point to communicate, to dialogue, to have conversation, and you can be, then you can reverse the role, so then you may not always be the teacher per se, but then you become a student in the experience as well, And I think you make learning fun too, you know, more engaging. And it's more set a purpose, more purposeful and meaningful, because then the student get to see that, oh, it's not just the teacher. Teacher doesn't know it all, but, you know, she's learning from us too. So I guess that it creates that balance with teacher-student relationship and
1: interruption. I've I've made the analogy before in some of the conference workshops that I've given of the teacher, as a facilitator, almost like the conductor of a choir of an orchestra, where your job is not to make the music, if you will, but let the instruments make mm-hmm. the music, but to bring out their voices. Mm-hmm. So, and going on what you just said, you know, bringing out, having the Mayan students, for example, share, teach everybody else something mm-hmm. about their language and cultural background and vice versa, the Spanish-speaking mm-hmm. students speak and talk about how things will be expressed and their language and culture to bring out these different voices mm-hmm. of yes. the orchestra, if you will, yeah. so that they can hear each other and learn from each other and validate their first language and cultural background.
0: Exactly, because, you know, I think when as educators, we begin to see learning like that, like I'm not the stage on the stage and I don't know it all. Yes, I may have a bit of expertise here and there because of experiences and because of your professional training. But at the end of the day, At the end of the day, we don't know it all because everyone is so unique based on their space or based on their context. So I may have this set of curriculum and I may need to get this done, but you do it in a way that students don't feel that they don't belong. And that's so important that you try as much for them to feel that they are a part, every student. Um, And so that's something, I mean, it's so important because i think it comes with your own your own stance like your belief that you take and um and it always goes back to my own way how i learn and i think that um that's so important because just the motivation and just the sense of belonging in that classroom um changes changes your own perspective you know and that those are some of the key things and you may not always find it written in a book but um it's something that 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 as a teacher we we need to see that we're there to influence and 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 try to make every child reach their full potential
1: mm-hmm. and what, feel a part of the community
0: exactly yeah. whatever that may be and i think human in general yeah i always say humanity that's so important if you see everyone as human beings then i think that um that's where your approach in how you react or interact with those individuals um, is going to direct your actions, what you see, what you do, and how you see. Definitely, mm-hmm. definitely.
1: Thank you for your time and discussing this topic, which is so important. And I, just to quickly summarize and see if there's something else you want to add at the end, Audelia talked about bringing out the voices of her students making everybody feel included as part of the classroom community, no matter what their linguistic or cultural background, Um, sharing stories, sharing food, sharing their language from their home of origin. And, And any other specific tips that you might want to share with our listeners with bilingual materials or if the teacher doesn't speak one of the languages, how can he or she reach the parents if they don't speak speak English themselves, like you said, growing up, how do you engage the parents and or help them to support the children's learning outside the home if the children go back home to speak their first language and don't have that support at home for English as a second language or a third language?
0: Okay, so I will speak um, first from the classroom perspective. I think that oftentimes because many things are dictated to teachers teachers feel that it's all written in stone and so they must go along but at the end of the day and sometimes i say to my to the principals of school the school leaders that it's your school and at some point you are the one that is there you are accountable you know your school more than anyone else yes others may provide suggestions but at the end of the day you know your purpose and that's so important and so when it comes to classroom instruction for teachers who are working and that goes directly to our school system currently that it's so important that whatever materials whatever resources whenever you plan a lesson whenever you see something that you do so with all students in mind whatever, take and that and so it's so important that you know your student you know them beyond just the classroom beyond just the eight to five you need to to, to 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 a profile I always say a profile of your student what they like where they come from where do they live who are their families I think going beyond just see, seeing them as the student in that particular um, time or that year but seeing them more as a human um, will help you you then to better um, be informed when it comes to the selection of materials for your classroom when you plan a lesson when you make um, connection to a story to an event because you're going to do so with all the students in mind and with all the various differences and interests that they may have starting from languages starting from their culture starting from their literacy levels where they are um, that's so important important. And one way how you can try to encourage that parents also feel, because it's key that they are a part of that school, part of that classroom community, is that same way, if you're going to share something, if you're going to share a message, if you're going to um, talk about a story, if you're going to bring books in the classroom, if you're going to talk about a particular concept, you want to do so in a way that it's not demeaning as well to another culture for them or another group of students to feel that, oh my, this is so wrong what we're doing. Oh, and you also want to do it in positive way. But how can you do so? How can you let parents feel that they're part of a school community is by getting to know them. Where do they live? You know, their history, their origin, their siblings, their families, what do they like? Um, because of course, like. They- We talk about culture goes beyond just food. Um, That's something I know we like in Belize, but I think we need to move beyond that and think about the whole child. And when teachers let families feel and parents feel that it's okay, it's okay if I may not share the same language as the other student across from my child or the other parent that, that sits away from me. Or it's okay if probably we don't live in the same geographical area or it's okay if we don't share the same views but it matters it matters and these differences are what makes a rich classroom because we learn from each other we know that imagine if everything was all the same I mean how, how not interesting life would be and so we need to see these differences um, as something that is rich where we can all learn from and that is what make learning uh, motivating and interesting. So teachers can start by knowing your students, knowing your families and let them feel that they're welcome in school. You know, that you just do I just don't see you when it's time for a report card. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can talk to me, you can share when we have an event. The te- parents can serve as resources. You know, I always say that because sometimes right among your students, the parents have skills have interests so those are things that you could use as resources Mm -hmm. in your school in your community and um i think when we begin to see education then just right in the classroom and oh my i have like 30 kids and they are all different how do i work this but see the differences as something that's rich as a resource Mm -hmm. i think then we will see the teaching students from various backgrounds yeah more as a blessing definitely right definitely Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, you reminded me of one quick story and then we'll wrap this interview up that i had an experience with my uh adult students from different Spanish speaking backgrounds and as you know even though they all speak spanish their cultural backgrounds are very different and even linguistic aspects of spanish i have students from honduras mexico peru and cuba and argentina all in the same class and although they all speak spanish as their first language they speak different dialects of spanish it's like english from ireland and english from australia and america is all very Mm -hmm. different yet they have the commonality of coming to America and we had one class where they ended up speaking Spanish the entire class and at first I was worried you know we're not doing our English lesson we're not doing our English lesson but then at the end of the class I realized you know what we just spent an hour and a half hearing stories in Spanish about how they came to America and honestly I was so impacted by their stories and each one was very unique and I won't go into that right now but given that time to get outside of the box and get outside of the curriculum and let your students share their stories, even in small groups of how and why they're in your classroom, where they come from, what their family backgrounds Mm -hmm. are. Storytelling is a really powerful way to bring out cultural and linguistic backgrounds for your students and really build that community Mm -hmm. that Odelia was talking about as well. So as we continue on with our podcast, we will hopefully get Odelia to join us again for a workshop which we'll share with you coming up. But thank you so much, Odelia. Is there any way, if people want to find you, how, what's the best way for them to find you? If they're online, your email, anything you may want to share where a listener could access you okay. as a resource?
0: So for now, I I have a Facebook page uh-huh. under Odelia Jacobs, but professionally to find me, I'll share my email. I use my work email and I do serve as a Resource for teachers that it may not be in this particular area, but they may have questions pertaining to what they're doing. So I'll just share my email, and my email is Odilia O D E L I A dot Calis C A L I Z at m o e gov That is my work email. I check it often, and should teachers need have questions, parents, I try to be as re- resourceful and try to help as best as I can. So I think for the time being, that is, um, that is the most efficient way you
1: can find me. Thank you so much for your time today. And we'll have her email information in our notes. So thank you, Odelia, for your time and for joining us. We look forward to talking with you further, hopefully for a follow-up workshop. Thank you, Dr. Eileen. We'll see you all again, listen to you again soon. Thanks. Bye. In summary, I'd like to recap the challenges before we talk about the teaching tips that Miss Odilia Caliz has discussed with relation to linguistic and cultural challenges in a multicultural classroom. First, she talked about the lack of contextualization of materials from books to curriculum, and then she discussed the lack of student Student engagement, or we could say student disengagement and the lack of motivation as students when they don't feel like their languages and cultures are included in the classroom. Thus, Miss Odelia encourages us as teachers in multicultural classrooms to address these challenges through first build connections from your school to the homes of your students with the parents so that you learn the languages and cultures from where they come. Build connections from the school to the community, both extended and surrounding your school and villages or neighborhoods nearby. Contextualize learning materials, meaning bring in things that are really relevant to the languages and cultures of your students and that represent them where they can see themselves in the books, in the reading materials. Encourage student involvement, inviting them to bring cultural foods, books, and other items from home that represent their cultural backgrounds. Allow students to translate ideas from their home language, letting them teach you enable differences to become resources in your classroom. Very important is to create a sense of belonging. And by doing this, you get to know your students holistically, their literacy levels, their home languages, and the depth of cultural and linguistic backgrounds from which they come. Thanks so much, Ms. Odelia Caliz, for sharing such wonderful and rich podcast with us. If you'd like to reach Odilia, again, her email is here Odilia Caliz, O D E L I A dot C A L I Z at M O E dot gov dot B Z. This month's TTELT talks will be Saturday, June twenty sixth, five PM Eastern Standard Time. Please email us ahead with your ideas at tteltinfo at gmail.com. That's tteltinfo at gmail.com. Here we discuss items that are most important to you. Thank you so much for participating. Follow us on our website, ttelt.org, our Facebook group, Instagram, Twitter, We love your participation and thank you again, Ms. Odilia Caliz and all of our participants for joining us today. Have a wonderful day.